We're talking about celebration, and there's a lot to talk about because it's a fairly wide-ranging concept. At the holidays, we celebrate Christmas. At a funeral, we celebrate a life. At Mass, we celebrate the Eucharist. All very different kinds of celebrations that wouldn't seem to have anything in common beyond that word, celebrate. When we celebrate, we might be doing so many different things, from the sacred to the profane, from solemn ceremonies to festive parties. And as we noted in kicking off this series, besides the holiday season itself, late spring is the number one time for celebrations for many of us. We celebrate proms and graduations, end-of-the-year school traditions and rituals, retirement parties and award ceremonies. Here at church, spring brings first communions and confirmations and more weddings and baptisms than any other time of the year. Why celebrate? Lots of reasons. Celebrations create an interruption in the regular pattern of things, distinguishing seasons for us. Celebrations also force us at least for a a little while, to put aside fears and frustrations and troubles and trials and focus on the positive. Celebrations remind us that joy and laughter are heart healthy. Celebrations connect us in community. Celebrations can powerfully underscore what makes life truly good and of lasting value, friends and family. Celebrations help us acknowledge the progress we've made in our lives. They can give us a healthy perspective on how much we've grown, how far we've come. They serve as milestones. And that list could go on and on and on, but as many different kinds of celebrations and ways of celebrating there are, they all have one thing in common. It's true. All celebrations have one thing in common. Celebrations tell stories. They're exercises in storytelling. And ultimately, whatever story they're telling, our our celebrations are telling our story. Whenever we celebrate, we're telling our story. And telling our story helps us organize our story. It helps us come to understand it better. In fact, the health of our soul so greatly needs celebration that God actually commands it. In the Bible we read, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and tell them, the following are the festivals of the Lord. These are my festivals. And then in Leviticus, he goes on to list them by name. The Hebrew word for festival or celebration is actually closer to our word appointment. In these laws, God was setting divine appointments placed on Israel's calendar so that his people would remember him and the gifts he gave them throughout the course of the whole year. Besides the weekly Sabbath, there were a number of annual feasts throughout the year, feasts like Passover and Rosh Hashanah. The feasts celebrate Israel's history, Israel's story. In the same way, the church celebrates four feasts, also called solemnities, every year at this time of year. They remind us of four key truths of our faith and what's most important. 
And so in this series, we're looking at these feasts and why they matter. Always closing out the Easter season, they are in order Ascension, Pentecost, Trinity Sunday, and Corpus Christi. Last week, we celebrated the Feast of the Ascension. We did so in the context of national mourning for the tragedy in Uvalde, Texas. The Ascension underscores the truth that Jesus now sits at the right hand of the Father and has authority over all things. And what that means for us is that we can bring to him our needs and struggles, our our dreams and desires in the present time, as well as have hope for the future. Today, we're celebrating the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost was, first of all, one of those Jewish holidays. Fifty days after the Israelites were freed from slavery in Egypt in the Passover, God gave them the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. God freed the people from slavery, and only after freeing them did he give the commandments. The purpose of the commandments was to establish the basic conditions for living in a relationship with God. Pentecost was traditionally remembered as the time when God made Israel into a nation under a rule of law. Receiving the law and committing to live by it united the people. That was the plan. The problem with the plan was that time and again, the Israelites failed to live the law. For instance, the very first commandment was all about worshiping God alone and not having false gods. But even before Moses had finished receiving the other commandments, the Israelites were actively violating that one, worshiping the golden calf. That disobedience would become the pattern moving forward. So each year, pious Jews would come together to Jerusalem at the Feast of Pentecost precisely to pray for the power to live the law. Anyway, here's what Luke writes about the Pentecost that took place 50 days after Jesus' resurrection. When the time for Pentecost was fulfilled, they were all gathered in one place. They refers to the apostles, Jesus' mother, Mary, and a total of 120 other disciples praying together and waiting together, just as Jesus told them to do. They were gathered to wait, but wait, for they knew not what. As an aside, I think this passage does speak to the value of gathering together in person for worship. Gathering together is one way we can open ourselves up to receive the Holy Spirit and experience the Holy Spirit's presence and power. That's why, together with actually receiving Holy Communion at Mass, it's important that we continue to gather in person as a church family here in our church sanctuary. Of course, we remain 100% committed to our online broadcasts and equally committed to making our broadcasts of the highest quality available anywhere. We love our online congregation. We honor and value you. At this point, you're far, far larger than our in-person congregation. And obviously, hopefully, you will continue to grow. 
But however often you worship with us online, or even do so exclusively, you can keep in mind that idea of gathering too. Think about it. Gathering your family together at Mass time and celebrating Mass together. Inviting friends and family over to join you. Being more deliberately present in the chat. They can all be ways in which you gather online. Bottom line, point being, gathering in worship can be an effective way to open us up to the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what happened at that, at that first Pentecost. They were gathered together. And suddenly, there came from the sky a noise like a strong driving wind, and it filled the entire house. Then there appeared to them tongues as of fire, which parted and came to rest on each of them. Luke here deliberately depicts the events of the Pentecost in a way that harkens back to the events on Mount Sinai. Exodus tells us, and suddenly Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord descended upon them in fire and the whole mountain quaked greatly. Notice the similarities here. Both events involved fire in unexpected ways. Exodus says the mountain quaked like an earthquake while Acts describes a strong driving wind like a hurricane that would have shaken the entire city. Look what happened next. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues. And there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven staying in Jerusalem. At the sound, they gathered in a large crowd. Pilgrims flooded into Jerusalem for Pentecost every single year. The city would have been flooded with visitors. It was actually the largest celebration of the whole year. Think Super Bowl Sunday. But they were confused because each one heard the apostles speaking in his own language. They were astounded, and in amazement they asked, are not all these people Galileans? So the first apostles and disciples were mostly from a region called Galilee. Galileans were not known at that time for their education, far from it. They were fishermen and laborers and simple, uneducated people who spoke a provincial form of Aramaic. But suddenly, now, they're multilingual, speaking to everyone from everywhere. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, inhabitants of Judea and Asia, Egypt, Libya, Rome, everywhere. Well, the law was given as a gift because it showed the Jewish people how God wanted them to live. But it couldn't provide the power to actually live it. As the Israelites failed time and again, it led to their defeat and destruction as a sovereign nation. They became dispersed, a diaspora among many nations. Here at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes to give the power to actually live the law, uniting them together again, able to understand one another again. But that's not all, because the story concludes, then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Peter goes on to preach a powerful sermon, introducing the crowd to Jesus as the fulfillment of all God's promises to Israel. By the way, a great homework assignment this week would go to 
Acts chapter 2 and read that sermon of Peter's because it very succinctly sums up a lot of the history that led to the Pentecost. Anyway, Peter preaches and his words cut right to the heart of the people. And Acts tells us that about 3,000 people were baptized that day, about 3,000 people. And again, we see the parallel to the events on Mount Sinai. After the worship of the golden calf, about 3,000 people died as a result of the great sin. The parallel numbers are meant to powerfully underscore the reversal of the past, characterized by sin and death and the new beginning that was unfolding with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is the beginning of the church. This is the launching of the universal church. On Pentecost, the church is born and it immediately explodes in growth. The story of Pentecost is in part the story of church growth. That's because the church, when it's doing what Jesus told us to do, always grows. Well, at Nativity, we've developed specific strategies that we found effective in growing as a church and reaching the unchurched. Our rebuilt team coaches parishes on how to implement these strategies in their local setting. Right now, we have two dozen parishes from New York to San Francisco that we're coaching. And we have dozens more who are members of our Rebuild Association with access to our content and weekly webinars. This ministry is growing. God has given us a great vision for what's ahead. Specifically, our vision is to have a rebuilt parish in every diocese in the country, a Catholic parish in each region that is rebuilding by deliberately welcoming unchurched cultural Catholics and helping them along the discipleship path. If you're interested in learning more about Rebuild or perhaps even getting involved, we're hosting a brief presentation, just 10 to 15 minutes with Q&A afterwards. For those of you joining us here on Ridgely Road, just head over to the Cafe Pavilion after Mass. Our host team can direct you. For those joining online, we're offering a Zoom meeting. Our chat hosts will help you find the link. In a time of great division in our country, and frankly, in the Catholic Church, Pentecost reminds us of the unity God intends for us. It is a unity that is utterly elusive and impossible all alone and on our own. Unity that can only happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. In the power of the Holy Spirit, the church is established. The church, the fulfillment of God's plans and promises for Israel and a light for the nations. A light for the nations with a worldwide mission of bringing hope to the world. That's our mission, to bring hope to the world. And Pentecost Sunday reminds us, because we need reminding from time to time, that we have the privilege of serving that mission in our generation. And that's worth celebrating.